0: hi guys i'm matt harris host of the hmo experience property podcast and in this episode of the podcast my co-host steve mitchell has a chat with josh guest from guest homes where josh talks about his latest hmo project which he secured via a lease option direct from a landlord now josh has been on the podcast before where he talked about his service accommodation business and he wanted to diversify his business into HMO so that it wasn't fully dependent upon the seasonal income that typically comes with service accommodation. As a result, Josh leveraged his contacts and connections with local agents and landlords. And he shares in this episode of the podcast how he found the opportunity to um, uh acquire a property via a lease option from a landlord how he structured the lease option and the income that he expects to generate with the hmo that he has acquired via this lease option so if you're interested in um, acquiring properties or structuring uh, potential property deals via a lease option then this is definitely the episode of the hmo experience property podcast that you need to be listening to um, before you head off, or before we head off into the episode, I uh, just want to ask you to do one thing, which is head over to the HMOexperience.co.uk website and download a bunch of free resources, including the 11 steps to building a successful HMO property business right now. Um, and also, if you're on Clubhouse, don't forget to join Jamie, Steve, and I Um, Uh, in the HMO Experience Property Clubroom, which runs every Monday and Tuesday at 1pm, where we discuss everything from HMO uh, to rent to rent and everything in between. So if you're on Clubhouse, make sure you join the HMO Experience Property Clubroom. Other than that, um, let's head into the episode.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting edition of the HMO Experience Property Podcast. I'm joined again by Josh Guest. Say hi to everyone, Josh. Hi everyone. Good, uh, everyone, this is Josh. Josh, everyone, so we're all good friends now. So um, if you're a follower of the podcast, um, you will have um, bumped into Josh on episode 57 Uh, where Josh was telling us about his service accommodation business uh, and how he was uh, running uh, a business down in Brighton, but living over in the West Country and and how the uh, ceiling fell in on his first service accommodation and how he dealt with that. So if you haven't checked out episode 57, go and hear Josh's story. It's amazing. Um, But we've invited Josh back because he has started to change his tact. He's, he's still doing service accommodation, doing fantastically well at it, but he's now started to branch out into HMOs. So we thought we'd uh, invite Josh back um, for him to tell us his story on his HMO um, and off- offer you a slightly different perspective in the sense that Josh has done a lease option on this property. So we wanted to um, share that with you and uh, explain how he did that. So let's just go Back to the beginning, Josh. So you're into service accommodation. Uh, Why the switch into HMOs? What was the motivation behind that?
2: So the main switch really was just diversification. Um, So obviously we're in uh, 2021, April now, um, sort of just come out of this sort of third lockdown or whatever we've just had now, getting lost with the number of lockdowns we're in. Um, But this was, I'd always thought about, having HMOs as well and single lets. And I've been doing service accommodation for two years anyway, and it was probably probably the start of last year. So it starts 2020, January, 2020, when I started to look to diversify a bit because I just didn't want to have all my eggs in one basket if the market ever changed slightly. Um, and obviously service combination does do really well in summer sort of where my locations are um, and it still does really well in the winter with contractors anyway. Um, but I wanted a bit of diversification because of the HMOs more steadier income um, as, as in consistent rent coming in every month, the same amount of rent, um, whereas service accommodation fluctuates massively every month. So I wanted to have a bit of the diversification of that. So I started to look at it. And then obviously with COVID hitting um, even more so, I then even thought this even sort of really does make sense to um, diversify to having another strategy. So if one gets hit harder than the other, then you've got sort of a bit of a bit of a backup of an income, so um, you're not getting hit all at once. So your income not going to get hit all together. It's even like in the future, I want to get a couple of buy to lets and look at maybe a capital growth on some of those. Um, so then you've got just ranged of income basically.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really smart move. We, we've done the same in our business to look at uh, different uh, income streams and, and to be wholly reliant, I think, on one is is great when things are going well. But when you sort of hit a bump in the road, um, it certainly shows up uh, potential weaknesses in in business plans. So so it's mainly for a diversification business, um, a, d- a diversification of your income to protect your business. So how did you go about starting to look for uh, HMO opportunities? What were a couple of things that you did?
2: Um, So to start off with, I went down like the rent-to-rent route. Um, So speaking to landlords, um, looking on, um, trying to contact landlords, direct to vendors, um, sending out letters, um, just the usual stuff. And through landlords that I already know as as well, speaking to them, seeing if there's any opportunities. Did some research on a few different areas um, to see which, which areas I preferred and one thing I knew from doing service accommodation as you said um, I live in the Midlands um, and I did service accommodation in Brighton I knew I didn't want to do any sort of like rent to rent or own any properties further than like an hour away from where I lived Um, so that was that was a one main criteria that I wanted to do for the HMOs this time. So I looked at that, then did some research on figures, spoke to some agents to see what they were renting the properties at, um, to get some sort of feedback and what sort of spec and level that the rooms need to be rented at. And then just started really looking for opportunities from there. Um, yeah, and just sort of carrying on going forward. Um, so I was spe- speaking to define to this particular deal was just through a landlord that actually have rent to sales accommodation off already I knew he had some HMOs um and I knew he wanted to get rid of some so I basically approached him and said to him "Is well basically I don't have the money to buy it but would maybe a rent to rent be an option um he said he wanted to sell it and then I thought oh this could actually work as maybe a purchase lease option so I want to rent it um It does need some work doing to it, but I ideally do want to buy it as well. So then I offered him a five-year lease option, which worked well for both parties because this is like half a million pounds property. Um, He wants to sell it, but also he wants to sell several of his portfolios. Um, He doesn't just have just HMOs, but he wants to sell several properties like blocks of flats and stuff as well. Um, But his accountant also said, don't sell it all at once because he going to get hit with a massive capital gains bill. So this was a really good option for him and a good option for me um, because he wants to sell it. So I'm definitely going to buy it in five years. Um, And he's also, he sold it. We've done a bit of refurb on it. I get to make some money over the next five years, which will hopefully nearly buy the property in five years time.
1: Perfect. Sounds like a a good plan. So so let's just sort of uh, track back a bit. So initially you were looking for for rent to rent and uh, for for those people who have... uh, the channel that they will know what rent-to-rent is. For for those people that are new, rent-to-rent is simply whereby you're approaching a landlord or you're approaching um, an agent and effectively what you're doing is renting that property and then managing that property going forward and and putting uh, customers into the property. You take the uh, rental income and then you pay a rent back to the landlord. And or agent, so it's you're kind of a middleman uh, in in essence. So you were looking for rent to rent opportunities, and um, I think it was really smart where you went to your existing uh, landlords. Um, how receptive were they to you um, uh, with regards to this sort of business model? Were they um, not understanding it? Was it confusing for them? Were they quite innovative and got it straight away? How did that plan out?
2: Yeah, so. He obviously, because obviously I'd already done rent-to-service accommodation with him, he sort of knew what it was um, because it was a similar sort of strategy. Um, and then he also said, oh, I've actually got about 10 letters on my desk at home with people like you asking this sort of thing. But he said, I've never bothered of interested in them because I've never been in this situation until now where I actually do want to get rid of the property. So I've never entertained them. Um and also, I don't know any of them. Um, I don't know any of these people. So I haven't entertained it in that, in that way as well. Um, and he said, so I do sort of know what it is. Um, so he wanted his list to check out the contracts and all that sort of stuff. Um, once he did, then he was happy. He was happy with it, really, uh, to, get, to go ahead because he knew he knew exactly what it was. Like I say, he's, he's had all these letters all on his desk already. The only reason why he never went with those is because they didn't have any relationship built with him um i'd have like a two-year relationship built with him um he trusted me he was looking for the properties and that sort of stuff so it just it it was just like the right moment and the right time really
1: yeah and i think that's a really crucial point i mean we uh, in the very early days we were sending out lots of letters and getting no response and um, lo and behold um, after uh, about five years i actually got an email and a text from a landlord saying oh, i've got this letter um and uh are, are you interested in taking this property on and so i called him up and i said uh, just incidentally so what what was the um what was the date of the letter and he said it was uh october 2016. so <laughs> these these letters do sit on uh people's desks and and as and when uh it comes uh to uh, a need uh, or a need arises let's say then then people do reach out so so having that relationship with the landlord uh was of, of paramount importance in in this instance what about the other letters that you sent out did you um get any response from that or or, or was it kind of
2: uh, a, a no deal um yes most of it um i had a few other opportunities come up um we just weren't really the right sort of deals or just didn't work for the landlords. Um, so I didn't really get too far with that. Um, and I probably didn't push it enough in the end because, as me and yourself have spoken about before, Steve, you need like a good sequence of letters going out um, to the landlords. Um, and I didn't really sort of fully finish off the process of the letters in the end um, because this sort of opportunity came up fairly early on uh so then i just i just decided to stick with that one um and just go with that because i was going to be putting in some cash into doing a refurb on it so i thought well let's just get this one first especially with covid and stuff like that i didn't want to go deep dive in go and get 10 and then you can't fill up the rooms or whatever so i thought let's get one see how this one goes and then we can look to expand from there really so i'll look to once this one is completely full. Um, Probably later on this year, I've got a few other stuff going on at the moment, but later on this year, we'll probably look to start pushing to get more again and start sending out a process of letters again. Um, And it definitely will work, like you say, um, like with yours, even get a call five years later, but you will probably get that call at some point. It's just being there at the right time. Um, But if you keep sending out letters, you are in the face of and in the mind of the landlord as well. Mm. Um, And they might even accidentally know you as well. Um, because I get loads of referrals now for stuff from landlords knowing landlords. Mm-hmm. And they, they all actually most of these people actually all know each other. Um they might not literally know each other as friends, but they know of them. And if they speak about you, they go, Oh, actually, oh yeah, I've got a letter from him, and then they might give you a call then and they're they're interested. Yeah, for
1: sure, for sure. Okay. So you so you mentioned about um a lease option. So for, for those that don't know what a lease option is you just want to give a quick um uh, definition or explanation of, of of how you've structured your deal
2: yeah exactly um so basically i'm going to rent the property off the landlord for the next five years and then i've agreed a purchase price off him in five years time um in this particular situation i have actually how we've had to structure it, I do actually have the op I know I have to legally buy the property. Um so it's a it's a purchase lease option, but it's an edited purchase lease option with just both of the solicitors um because this landlord definitely wanted to sell it um but I was happy to buy it anyway. Um so it is a slightly edited one but usually on a lease option you would lease it for for however long you've agreed with an option to buy at the end uh, at the uh, at the agreed purchase price but mine is definitely buying it at that purchase price in five years time
1: okay so so just a couple of little um, uh, important distinctions i think we should just um, sort of raise there so so traditionally a lease option is where you have um, the right but not the obligation to buy so you could either buy it or not buy it at, at the end but what you've done because you've seen that this is such a good opportunity um, you've made the decision right from uh, the get-go that you want to buy it and so therefore it's it's um, it's uh, almost like a massively extended delayed completion, um, in the sense that you will definitely buy at the at the, um, uh, at the appointed time uh, for the appointed price, uh, and therefore you're a winner because if that property price rises over the next five years, you're getting it at a at a, a, a discount potentially and, and the way that asset uh, prices are going at the moment uh, i think that you probably will buy it at a substantial discount um the owner is um uh, getting a, a win from it because he's getting income from the property which doesn't impact his capital gains uh liability as per your, your comment a little bit owner uh, earlier but he is also a winner because you know he's going to sell that property to you for an agreed price at the agreed time so it's a win-win-win
2: Exactly that. And just, just to let everyone know, the re- so ba- basically it is sort of a merge between delay completion and purchase lease option. The reason why we didn't do delay completion is the solicitor said that I'd have to pay stamp duty now. Mm. Um, so that's the only reason why we actually, because on, on a purchase lease option, you don't have to pay stamp duty until you buy it. If you did do delay completion, you would have had to pay it now. Um, and I wanted to keep that capital for other things at the moment. Yeah,
1: good move. Smart move. So it's, it's, I, guess, I guess you didn't download this contract from a website or you didn't um, get one from a training course on this. So, so um, tell us a little bit about about the, the contract. How did, you, how did you come up with those terms with the, uh, with the owner? Was it uh, a discussion with him? Did you have a meeting about it? How, how did that all sort of work out?
2: Yeah exactly that so I had a meeting with him initially and um, went around his house um, this was actually when it was uh we was allowed to meet people um at the end of the first lockdown so um went in and had a chat with him a bit of a further discussion I'd actually already luckily done a a normal um lease option last year as well um where I don't have the obligation to buy um so I sent him those contracts um and we had a bit of a going back and forth having a bit of chat about it then um and then one of basically his one main point was that he wanted to definitely sell it um so because he's oh he could retire next sort a few years if he wanted to he's coming up to more re- technically the traditional retirement age um but whether he will do or not that's a different matter but um it's more he, was, he wanted to definitely basically have the security of definitely selling it. He doesn't want to faff around in five years' time. Then he has to go and put it back on the market again because he just wants it gone. Mm. Um, and he was sort of helping me out and I'm helping him out. So that was just the one extra thing he wanted to add in there. Um, so we came to an agreement over that and said, and I said I was happy to buy it because I could I could see it as a good price. It's already worth more anyway after a bit of the refurb we've done like you say it's everything's going up in value anywhere at the moment if the HMO market also massively changed it used to be flats in there um, and it's a good layout for flats so there's there's different options I looked at loads of different options of it and it could even just go back to a house and you could still sell it at what the price you would get as a HMO as a house it's a big house and it's a nice area Mm. Um, so I looked at basically three four different options so if you've always got a bit of a backup plan if anything changes massively.
1: Okay. So, so now you've gone through the whole sort of contract piece. Um, you've secured the property, you have transacted on the property, um, and now you're going to start to bash it around. Did, how did you, how did you feel about, um, uh, because technically it's not your property uh, yet, legally, let's put it like that. Yeah. So, so how, did you have any sort of reservations about um, sort of altering something that that wasn't yours or or in your mind is it now yours and therefore you're changing it into uh, what you want it to be
2: yeah it is a bit of a strange situation but yeah i kind of see it as it is mine um like it's it's kind of like anything really if you could you could you could say i don't know if you've got a mortgage on a property it's, it's not yours anyway um because it's the banks really until you pay it off so um so it's just the same situation. He, but instead of the bank lending the money, he at the moment the vendor, well, the current obviously vendor, he's kind of the bank. Mm-hmm. So I'm just paying him basically the mortgage every month, and I've just made it my property, um, which I know I've got, I've, I've, got to buy in five years' time. So um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really mind it. The, the only weird thing, um, it's kind of a bit of a strange one because obviously. If I'd bought the property, then then I could have refinanced it and got more of my cash back out. So I have had to lay some cash at the moment, which is kind of like just thrown and stuck in a deal. So it's a bit of a kind of a bit of a different situation compared to most investors might look at it. But because I'm still young, I'm looking at it as more, well, the profit I earn off this for the next five years will give me the deposit to buy the house. And then in five years' time, I could either put it on interest only, um, or I might even decide to put it on repayment, and it will pay itself off over twenty-five year periods. Um, and it's already well, it's all, it's already worth, I think. Well, so it's a agreed purchase price of five hundred k. Once all the rooms are full, it should be doing sixty k a year um, turnover, and in our area, it's roughly ten percent. For the purchase price times 10 times that's so it's already worth say 600k mm. in five years time it's going to probably be worth more and then if i keep it for 25 years it's gonna be worth over a million pounds which paid off um and i'll still only be sort of i don't know early 50s and that's only that's only on one one property deal um and it's already you're already you well into a million quid of a property paid off so the more i was looking at it more of a of a long-term project not just short-term get your money in and out now it's more of a long-term one
1: yeah and and as as you say i mean i looked at a report <laughs> the other day saying asset or house prices um had uh, increased um seven percent since the beginning of the year so um right. and you're not getting um you're not getting that in the bank so <laughs> your, your money is i think definitely working harder um, out of the bank than, than in the bank so cool so um, so now we've got control of the property um, and we're going to do some stuff to it. So so take us through the um, sort of process that you went through uh, in terms of turning it from what it was into
2: what you now have. Yeah, so um, first of all, I just went in there and obviously seen exactly what needed doing. I already know some good sort of like plumbers, electricians, um, didn't really know an actual Builder, because this is the first sort of more of a heavier refurb I've done, um, so I didn't know a builder, but I knew some builders, so I got some few quotes off people. Because um, ma- the main thing all we needed to do was new carpets, paintwork, new furniture throughout the property, um, and then just to mind a minor few other bits of TLCs, um, and then and then the bathrooms did need changing. Well, two two of the bathrooms needed changing out of four, um, and then a few. Uh, changes in the other couple of bathrooms just a few additional bits and bobs um, so I just got some quotes off some people uh, and had to obviously design exactly how I wanted it so decided to go for a furniture pack company as well um, because I thought that was easier so with the essays sometimes we build flat pack and all that sort of stuff but this is with a 10-bed HMO um, this is obviously an additional business to what I've already got so kind of didn't want to mess around with doing all that sort of stuff myself. I just wanted to get somebody to drop it all off and everything be time efficient Um, so I probably actually overspent probably on the project as well slightly it was obviously my first refurb so probably the builder I probably spent with him a little bit um, and probably just overspent on time as well a little bit for uh, for the painters so luckily I actually had a few friends which have been on furlough so they actually painted the property up which would which obviously still significantly cheaper than painters Um, but also um, they probably went over I went over budget by them for a few weeks as well Um, but I, I my sort of main focus was still on the service accommodation business because this is an additional extra so I didn't mind still again overpaying a little bit because I didn't have the time to keep going there. So I knew I trusted all these people. Uh, it was good plumber. Um, these guys were really good. That was working for me, and they were technically saving me time on then on project managing it. So that was then helping me make more money in my service accommodation business. So he kind of it kind of evens it out really on what it on what the extra overspend was.
1: So did you have any sort of challenges with the trades? Were they sort of turning up on time? Was Were your mates uh, demanding payment in beer and pizza? How, how did that kind of all pan out for you, the, the whole re- the trades relationships.
2: Yeah, so a few of them are really, really, really good, uh, really on time um, and just got the job done exactly. Uh, like I say, probably the only one was maybe the builder, which uh, didn't always come on time, but he was trying to juggle it around other work he was also doing um so maybe that was probably the only slight hiccup and probably from my end as well probably to be a bit more clearer with him on exactly what we needed doing Um, and maybe got him to be a bit clearer on exactly what he was going to do because then a few extras did come in in place in the end Um, and then that cost extra money Mm. Um, and just actually so yeah while I think about it there's a few um, extras that I never actually thought about as well Um, so the boiler worked and well the boiler had actually got um, been passed but the hot water wasn't working very well so that got fixed but then we had to have a full flush done Um, so we had to have the system to have a full flush and that that all in all, like, and um, a few extra radiators changed as well in the end because um, they weren't fully heating up. I don't know the exact terminology of it, but they weren't fully heating up because they're all blocked, basically. Um, so we had to get a few. All in all, it cost about an extra £1,000 for that sort of stuff. Um, but then, same again, I'm seeing as, well, we might as well get it done now. There's no wait waiting 12 months, and then it goes drastically wrong then i don't know you got leaks or whatever coming out under the floorboards and we need to change it all and that would just that would just cost a lot more money while what all the carpets are up um the house is a mess i thought let's just get it finished once and for all and get a good job done on it yeah i th- i think you're right i mean we we had a we took on a house that um, the, the
1: heating wasn't br- uh, very good. Uh, and a quick little tip um, for, for people listening and, and for the, for you guys that join us on YouTube uh, watching, um, if you if your radiators are um, hot at the top, but cold at the bottom, it means that there's sort of a lot of uh, gunge and gunk that's uh, yeah. sort of blocking it through. Whereas if it's hot at the bottom, but cold at the top, um, then that's um, what's called an airlock. So you just need to bleed the radiators out. So a, a couple of little uh, tips for you there. And and we had the same thing. The radiators were cold at the bottom and 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 hot at the top. And, and a power flush uh, soon uh, soon sorts that. What it also does is highlights the the weak welds and shows you where all the leaks are. So um, the the fact that you have got that done whilst the heat the house is uh, in a state of disrepair is is probably a, a very smart move. So. So the house is all sorted now uh, and it's looking uh, amazing um h- how did you get on with um filling uh the, the the property was there a lot of demand in your area for uh, for good accommodation
2: yeah so so we've had the property for um since finishing refurb it's uh, coming up nearly two months now um the end of this month and my target so we haven't fully finished fully um It's not fully rented out at the moment, Um, so we've managed to let six rooms so far out of 10. My idea was to get to six by last month and try and fill it up by the end of this month. Um, I'd probably say it's probably going to be maybe the end of next month now, the time it gets full. Um, But we're breaking even around sort of five and a half people anyway, six, well, six people. Um, So that's the idea, to get to six, so I know I was definitely breaking even um after all costs and then obviously the extra four uh, additional profit and i know at the moment the market is a little bit slower um with covid and stuff and with rooms so i did expect it to be like that um but we are still getting inquiries um i'm still confident we're gonna we've got another um we had a few viewings last week with people thinking about it and uh, we had a couple more booked in for today which i believe have moved later into the week now um but one of them seems pretty positive so i think by the end of the next month we should be uh thereabouts full um which which will be great then perfect
1: so let's just compare um the the work that you've done on this hmo to maybe setting up a, a, a one of your service accommodation units because we were just ta- uh, chatting um, before we, uh, we came on air um, you've also taken on some additional service accommodation and, and holiday oh. units so that's that's all uh, cool um, but how does setting up an hmo compare with uh, with a service accommodation is it a lot more in depth is it a lot more time consuming is it more expensive how, how does how do the two compare
2: yes yeah, so that's a really good question so technically it's probably more legis so if we look at it as so that obviously i did a full refurb on it there's a a lot lot more time compared to just a rent to rent or rent to service accommodation um say for a rent service accommodation i can make sure they get set up within a day picking up keys or the same day because we'll pre build the furniture um, at our offices. And then, as soon as we pick up keys, I make sure we've got a team in place to get that furniture all dropped off and straight into the property. Um, so, if you look at it in that perspective, um, as soon as I get those keys for rent service accommodation, it is online literally within 24 hours. Uh, we'll take photos on our mobile phones. So I'll have the photographer book for the next day without even the internet pre-ordered two weeks before so it's going to be going in on the day we get keys um we literally have a really uh, streamlined process for that um but if you're looking at our a perspective of just comparing hmo process to service accommodation um probably say the hmo process um obviously you've got more legislation and stuff like that um all your documents you need to make sure uh, you've got like a notice board in the hallway put all those documents on there obviously then uh, you've got to advertise the room spare room or if you go through agents and right move etc um but that's the same as listing an airbnb as well um and then obviously you got to go and actually show the tenants around so that takes a bit of extra time initially and then do all the paperwork with them there's a lot more paperwork than I ever thought of as well. <laughs> the amount of paperwork that you have to give these poor tenants um, with all of your right to rent uh, checks and all that sort of gas certificates and everything like that. But I've got a good process of that as well now. So we've got all the documents and they're ready to go straight to the tenants, make sure they sign it all. Then we pre- uh, scan it all in so we've got it all documented. Um, and They use something called uh, advanced rents as well to uh, – to put insurance on all the tenants and do all the reference in um, so that's not that's not too bad um, but it definitely takes quality, a bit more time but then once the tenants in there then there's obviously it is very very um, time time consuming really there's not there was not it's not very time consuming um, there's very little time spent on it we go around check it once a week to do a weekly inspection um obviously you need to do regular inspections with the rooms but sort of weekly inspections just on uh, communal areas um we've had a few snagging issues that have obviously been picked up by the tenants that have been in there so sort that sort of stuff out but i've got handyman to sort out anyway so that's not really that time consuming um and i'd probably say the main thing is obviously i come from a service accommodation perspective if a tenant for us or customer for us calls us up and says there's an issue you kind of need sorting just like that Like they expect that if they're coming on holiday they forget they're actually living in a house or an apartment and if the boiler packs it up they think you're to do like a magic trick and just get it fixed within 10 minutes they forget that it's a boiler and we need to call an engineer and engineers aren't available 24 7 or they might not get there for a few hours we could obviously try and do a solution for it, but it doesn't just happen straight away. Whereas um, people obviously in a the HMO, they still want it fixed quickly. And obviously we want to fix it quickly for them as well. Because we want them to be happy tenants and obviously stay with us for a long time. So we're not going to make them wait. But 24, 48 hours, they're not going to be too bothered about it. Or as long as you are action in it and they can clearly see your action in it, um, then, they're, then they're happy with it. They're not chasing you 24 seven on it.
1: Mm no yeah a good point i think a lot of people um look at service accommodation and don't realize um all the all the work that goes in the background service accommodation to me is a bit like uh it's, it's like a swan it's like gracefully glides across the uh, across the lake but underneath its legs are going like bilio um to make sure that everything is is perfect for the for the arrivals with the hmlc uh, you want everything perfectly as well as, as you say um, and, and certainly when the, the way that we built our business is certainly on quality of product, quality of service and, and leverage technology to reduce the, the, the cost to serve um the, the combination of those three will mean that your customers will stay with you for um well initially for us it was 11 months was our average sense it's now over 18 months so you don't have to constantly find those customers and, it, and it's it's a lot more cost effective to keep a customer than it is to constantly go and find customers so yeah. so we're going to start to bring it to um uh, and an then josh so first of all thank you very much for sharing your uh, experiences of your your first uh, hmo um i think that, that the way that you've done it is is amazing and i think that there is certainly a lot more opportunity as we go forward where landlords want to sell property um and and lease options are, are definitely a way for them to avoid uh, the the dreaded capital gain and a great way for us to secure a great price on a on an asset that's uh, uh that's going up in uh, up in value and um in terms of how you've sort of uh, approached it and uh uh, got the customers in, managed the refurb. Certainly your experiences with uh, service accommodation will help, but doesn't necessarily have to uh, um, have previous experience. We know lots of people, and if you followed the podcast, you would have heard lots of other people. Uh, I think we interviewed Richard Stratton, who's uh, now on his third HMO um from starting from a, a standing start so it is definitely possible um, but i think what you've done just is showed us a different way of being able to acquire the property which is uh, super interesting and uh, and and gives you a great asset for the future Yep. Definitely. so what what's uh, what's your sort of final words what's your sort of final bit of advice for people who are looking to uh, potentially acquire assets through through lease options what what would be maybe your one or two uh, top tips
2: So make sure you definitely have a good discussion with whoever you're going to do it. And they know literally the ins and outs of it as well. So don't sort of, uh, from yourself, don't go and blindfolded, and don't blindfold the vendor. Just actually have a proper one-to-one discussion. Second thing, if it does need, um, well, it's going to need some sort of refurb. I doubt you're ever going to walk into a HMO and it's all going to be Perfectly ready to go. Um, otherwise, they wouldn't be doing a lease option review anyway. Um, so, make sure you do really, really work out those figures on the refurb and try and look at the whole property, um, inside and outside, um, and get costs on the furniture. Um, so you definitely know your figures and do a real good research on the area and speak to letting agents, landlords, um, who who already have HMOs. It's crazy in property how many people are happy just to have a chat to you, and they might even have a HMO next door to you. They'll still have a chat to you. Um, I've done exactly the same with this property. I had a chat to a landlord, which I know really well, and he's got a HMO six doors down, but he's happy to have a chat to me and tell me anything. Um, And then a final point I'd probably say is... um, Speak to uh, just, just also actually, really know what you're doing with HMO. So speak to obviously, I've got a lot of advice off you, Steve. Um, probably get if it's even, even if it's not getting a mentor or anything like that, but just get advice off somebody that has been in the industry and listen to podcasts and read books and make sure you know what you are doing. Um, because this is a ten-bed HMO; it's quite a big project for my first project Um, but if I hadn't done service accommodation already and I hadn't spoke to you Steve and obviously got the advice off yourself um, then I probably wouldn't have gone for something as big for my first deal because a lot could go wrong if you didn't have if you didn't know what you're doing so Just make sure you really get yourself educated in some way. That doesn't necessarily mean doing courses or anything like that, um, but get yourself educated in some way. This podcast is a brilliant thing that obviously you're giving out for free to the community. um, And if people listen to this, I don't know how many episodes you've got on here now, but I'm sure you've got lots of information. I've listened to several myself. Um, So this is a brilliant way for people just to learn and know exactly what they're doing then. so they at least probably have 80 percent knowledge of going into it like i say my probably one learning thing was maybe overspending and not dealing with the some of the trades in the correct way um but that's sort of one part which you probably learn yourself um for your next deal um but everything else um like all the legislation and having the systems in process um you can definitely learn from someone else that's done it and it is really worth paying for it to be honest if you, if you do need to pay for it um it's worth paying for it it'll save you so much time and it'll actually save you so much money in the future and save you make, making any serious mistakes and especially in hmo there's a lot of legislation in there you don't want to get on the wrong side of that because it's not just what it will cost you um well you could technically go to prison if you get it wrong so uh, you don't want to go that far um but yeah, you don't want to get it wrong. So just try and get yourself educated.
1: Yeah, you have to go. You have to go like way off of left field to to go to prison. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, sage words, sage words. Josh. great. Well, look, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up there. Um, for those of you that are uh, watching this on YouTube, you'll see that Josh is looking uh super slick with his super haircut (laughs) i'm looking a little bit so i'm going to go off and and get my haircut as well and um check us out on youtube and uh the the hmo Um, Experience Property Podcast, Um, check us out on uh, Facebook. Uh, We also do a clubhouse uh, on Mondays under the HMO Experience Property Club. So uh, Monday's about buying HMOs, Tuesday's all about rent to rent. So uh, check us out on on those social medias. But until next time, uh, we appreciate your company, whether you're listening to us via the podcast or watching us on youtube and if you've got any questions uh, we'll put josh's uh, contact details below uh, so you can reach out to him if you uh if, if you want to get more information about his project if you're looking for uh, an amazing place to stay uh, josh has got some fantastic properties dotted all over the uk so where can people go to uh, to book their uh, service accommodation from you josh uh
2: guesthomes.co.uk
1: perfect guesthomes.co.uk check them out on the, the website um really great service uh, really great locations go and check those out and until next time we'll look forward to uh, catching up with you again have a great week everyone and uh, we'll catch up with you next monday take it easy bye now
0: hi guys thanks for listening to this episode of the hmo experience property podcast before you head off, I'd like to ask you to do three things. The first thing is make sure you hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're listening to so that you receive weekly notifications, not just when new episodes of the HMO Experience Property Podcast drop, but also when bonus features such as the HMO Diaries recorded live on our Facebook page every Monday at 5pm uh, and also 5 Minute Fridays, which is a new bite-sized feature of previous episodes of the HMO Experience Property Podcast to give you a little recap, which you can listen to on the go. So make sure you hit that subscribe button. The second thing is, if you're on Clubhouse, make sure you join us Mondays at 1pm in the HMO Experience Property Club Room, hosted by Jamie, Steve and I, where we answer all your questions around HMO property investing, rent-to-rent and general trends in the property market and the last thing is head over to the hmoexperience.co.uk website and download a bunch of free resources including the 11 steps to starting and scaling your own successful hmo property business and you can sign up to um the um uh, the handy hmo guide which is our weekly newsletter drops directly into your email inbox every monday That's it for now, guys. See you next week.